Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29, you'll find that on page 23 if you want to use the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, please take that Bible right there in front of you as your very own. It'll be our gift to you. Genesis uh, 29, we're going to try to do, uh, let's see, 35 verses this morning. A lot to cover. I'm not quite sure what to do with any of them. And so uh, you pray for me as we work our way through this. You'll be helped, by the way, to have God's Word open in your lap as we work through the Scripture together, verse by verse. And I trust it will be a blessing to be able to refer to that during our time in God's Word. So here we are in Genesis 29. For time's sake, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to begin, let's see, in verse well, that's not the passage at all, so uh, that, um, let's see. Is that the only uh, scripture that, uh, slide we have up there? Let me begin in Genesis 29, verse 21. Genesis 29, verse 21. We don't need that up on the screen, guys. Hear now the word of God. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, Is it not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn? Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Our Father, we're thankful for your word, and pray that you would help us to understand it. It is um, quite a story uh, before us. We believe, of course, to be a true story of true events, true people uh, making a mess out of their lives. Uh, There seems to be uh, no one who is not uh, deep in sin in this passage, and yet we trust that you work even through sin and sinners. That seems to be the story of Jacob's life, in fact. And so we return once again to seeing you work sovereignly despite the rebellion of your people. May we find great comfort in our own hearts um, in these truths that you indeed work through us as well. And so... Use us even as we consider your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Albert Einstein was once traveling by train when the conductor came by, punching the tickets of the passengers. And Einstein uh, reached into his pocket and couldn't find his ticket. He then reached into another pocket, and it wasn't there either. He, he opened his briefcase and couldn't find his ticket there. He would begin to look to the seat next to him to see if the ticket had fallen out. It wasn't there either. And finally, the conductor said to him, uh, Dr. Einstein, I, I know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. But Einstein didn't seem to be relieved. 
In fact, the conductor continued to move down the aisle, punching the tickets, and was about to move to the next train car when he turned and saw the brilliant physicist now down on his hands and knees looking under the seat for the ticket. The conductor hurried back to him and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, uh, you don't need to worry. I I know who you are. You don't need a ticket. It's not a problem. And which Einstein looked up at the man and said, young man, the problem isn't that you might not know who I am. The problem is, I can't remember where I'm going. (laughs) It's kind of the story of Jacob, isn't it? Jacob is on this journey, and he's not quite sure where he's going. Of course, he knows he's supposed to go to Padam Haran, about 500 miles from home. But the journey that God is going to take him on the next 20, 40 years, he has no idea. It is quite a spiritual expedition that is unknown to Jacob. Now, if you remember where we left off in the story of Jacob, he's on on this journey. He's fleeing for his life from his brother Esau. And he deceived his father. He stole his brother's blessing because he's a deceiver and a trickster and a liar and a manipulator. He's living up to his name. Jacob means grasper. It means trickster. It would mean deceiver. right? He's grasping for whatever he can get. And it's not working out as he hoped, right? He thinks he's getting a blessing. He thinks he's getting a birthright. But what he ends up with is his brother's trying to kill him. And so, you know, Jacob jumps in his smart car and he, he runs like a coward because he's a sinner, right? And on he goes. He makes it 40 miles and he crashes in the middle of nowhere. And it is there that God appears to him, not with rebuke, but with promises. God comes to him and makes promises. This is what God does. God makes promises to sinners. And he comes to Jacob and he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to protect you. In fact, I'm going to use you to redeem the world. It was, in fact, Charles Spurgeon who was preaching on that passage said how precious it must have seemed as he came to Jacob in the, in the den of that place as he lay with the hedges for his curtain, the heavens for his canopy, the earth for his bed, and a stone for his pillow, but God for his companion. I am with you, declares the Lord, and he will be with Jacob for the rest of his days. Now, so God, what we're learning about is that God is not simply a a God of miracles who acts occasionally, but God is with us constantly directing our life. Jacob, we remember, responds in worship. He responds in wonder. He responds, I believe, in faith. To use the New Testament uh, language, I think Jacob is saved at this point. This is Jacob's salvation. Up to this point, Jacob had never had a religious thought before. Now he seems to be in a relationship with God. The deceiver is now saved. Now what happens after salvation? Well, God begins to work in us, doesn't he? He begins to transform us. He begins to root out sin and folly in our lives. We call this, again, according to the New Testament, we call this sanctification. This is the process. You start as a sinner, then you get saved, you become saved, and then God begins to sanctify you, begins to make you more and more like Jesus. Now, is that sanctification a straight line, just year after year of growth? No, it is not. There are plenty of ups and downs. There seem to be more downs than ups in Jacob's life, but God will work in him. In fact, I think God is sending him to this uh, town of Haran, not just to find a wife, but to be confronted with his own sin. 
that he's going to, to, to work out in Jacob, who has utterly messed up his life. His life is a mess. His father doesn't enjoy him. His brother hates him. He has left the only person that does love him, Mama. And in our story today, what we'll find is that Jacob sees the most beautiful woman he's ever seen in his life. And he declares to himself, I need her. And if I can get her, my life will be okay. And he will invest all the longings of his heart in this desire to be loved. And that will be placed upon this girl named Rachel. And we will find out it is the wrong love to seek. I think this is a very relevant passage in that way, that we look for meaning and significance in, uh, in, uh, of our life in the relationships that we have. And we say, if someone will love me, then I'll be someone. Then that, then that will fulfill me. This is what our culture is constantly telling us. You just need to find that one love and everything will be okay. This is what music tells us. This is what popular movies tell us. And we put all of our greatest needs, all of our greatest hopes into romance and into love that someone out there will complete me. They'll fix all that's empty in my life. They will be, as we now call, our soulmate, right? It's our one true love. I just need to find that person and everything will be okay, right? The Bible has a different phrase for that. It's called idolatry. To take a good thing, love, romantic love, relationships, and make it the ultimate thing. We actually see two people, I believe, who are doing this today. A man named Jacob, as we've seen already, and a woman named Leah. And God is going to work in both of them, transforming them, as they will, I think, at least Leah will, Jacob will eventually discover that God alone is what we are looking for, ultimately. And so we'll consider this, this story in four scenes, beginning, first of all, Jacob's love. Jacob's love. We pick up in verse 1 of chapter 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. That phrase, went on his journey, is literally reads, he lifted up his feet. A very unusual phrase in the Hebrew. Of course, Jacob's just had this incredible vision of God. He just received these powerful promises of God. And now he lifts up his feet. That is, he is skipping down the yellow brick road, so to speak, isn't he? I'm off to see my people, the wonderful people of Ur. Okay, and after 500 miles of skipping, he comes up to a well, according to verse 2. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, uh, the, the flocks were watered. Now note this, this is important to note, the stone on the well's mouth was large. Okay, so he comes to this well covered with this large stone. Now, you have to remember to back here, when, back uh, last year when we, we studied the life of, of uh, Abraham. And remember, Abraham wanted to get a, get a wife for his son Isaac. And he sent his servant Eleazar, remember, to the same place, the same 500-mile journey, to find a wife from his people. And where did Eleazar find that wife? Well, he found her. Her name is Rebecca, of course. That's Jacob, Jacob's mama. He found her at a well, Right? And, and I'm sure Jacob's heard that story a hundred times. And he, said, he must be concluding, well, God said he's going to guide me, and perhaps that's what he's doing. He's do, what he'll do for dad uh, and finding mom, he's doing for me. And so he comes to this well. Now, of course, he's not alone, you notice. The well's already surrounded by shepherds. Now, don't, and when you think about shepherds, don't think in the terms of hallmark, okay? Uh, that this is not, not uh, uh, cute little boys or handsome men. These are, are men who live in the wilderness. They fight off the weather. They're dealing with wolves and thieves all the time. 
right? And so these rough-looking men are all staring as Jacob skips up to them in his skinny jeans, okay? And, uh, and, and, and they're, they're not watering the sheep because, as we saw, there's this large stone there to which verse 3, I think, uh, again, refers to. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So you see, they, they wait until all the, sh- the shepherds arrive, and then they roll the stone away together. Evidently, it took several of them to move this stone. Well, Jacob finally conjures up the courage to talk to these men. He's perhaps wondering, where is he? As you see in verse 4, Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. Well, that's good news, because that's where he wants to go. Okay? So he has navigated correctly. Now, just so you know, this is 500 miles, and there's no GPS, right? There's no recalculating. There's no turn left here. There's no map, right? And he is just going in a certain direction, hoping he makes it to the right place. He's made it to the right place. Praise God, he must be thinking. I wonder, what, I wonder if they know my uncle. So we see in verse 5. Uh, he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. Praise God. Not only in the right place, they know my uncle to whom I'm looking for. I wonder how he's doing, according to verse 6. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. Well, praise God, uh, Uncle Laban is doing well. And by the way, here comes his daughter, reading on in verse 6. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Now, this is when the music starts, right? And you could imagine this, can't you, with Rachel. The, uh, in fact, her name means you lamb. And so here comes the lamb with her lambs, right? It's all very exciting and, and romantic. And he must be thinking, thank you, Jesus, as his heart begins to race, as the girl of his dreams walks up to the well. Now, and this, is going, this is pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, God is guiding this whole thing. I get to the right place. I come to the well. I'm looking for my uncle and that, that family. That's where I'm supposed to find a wife. And, and here she comes. I wonder if all life is going to be this easy, right? God is orchestrating it all. In fact, it's interesting to me that Jacob now wants to get alone with this girl, as you see in verse 7. He said, Behold, it's high day. is Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together, water the sheep, and go pasture them? In other words, uh, what what he's saying is you guys should probably get back to work. So water up the sheep and and get on, because he wants to be alone with Rachel. I don't know, uh, it's been maybe uh, some time since you asked a girl out, right? For some of us at least. Uh, and you, you didn't want to do that in front of her friends, right? You wanted to get her alone, and it seems what Jacob's kind of doing. You want you guys go on your way. They, they're not interested, as you see in verse 8. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we, draw, uh, then, then we water the sheep. So we, we, again, we wait till all the boys are here. We all move the big stone together. And, uh, and then, then we'll leave. So his plan's not really working out. And because here comes Rachel in verse 9. Uh, while he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. All right, so here it is. I mean, he asked to, of course, uh, he's going to meet her. You need, this is the first impression. And you need to make a good uh, first impression if you're going to fool her, right? Okay, and uh, this is what, what we have to do. So you put your best foot forward. Now, Jacob, you know, doesn't have any money. He's hoping to crash in his uncle's place. And so what's he going to do? Well, he's going to move the stone. Verse 10. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, 
his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob, came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And I, I don't, maybe I'm too imaginative, but I could imagine a lot of grunting and straining going on here. As Jacob tries to move this rock, the vein is popping in his neck, his face is turning red. All the shepherds are looking at this strange man. What in the world are you doing? As he rolls this stone away all by himself, right? This is what guys do when they want to impress girls. They lift heavy things, okay? Right? You go to the gym, the guys start, the girl, pretty girl walks by, they start grunting, which means, look at me, I lift heavy things. That's all we know how to do to impress ladies, evidently. So, and so this is what Jacob does. Check this out. I do this all the time. I ain't nothing. And uh, he, he pushes it away, which is kind of, for me, kind of funny. I don't know if it's funny for you. Because Jacob is, as we've already established, kind of delicate, okay? And uh, his dad has hundreds of servants, and he's probably never done this before. He's a total mama's boy. And this pretty girl shows up, and he thinks, well, I need to get to work. Okay, so let, let, me, let me just tell you, you young ladies here, you don't realize how powerful of an incentive you are to young men. Okay? Girls are an incentive to guys. If a guy finds a girl interesting, they will think, I need to get a job. I need to get some money. I need to get some deodorant. Right? I need to, I need to, fig- I need to get my acts together. I, have, I, I took out um, four of my daughters on a date the other night with a bunch of other men at this church. We all went dancing together, the, the father-daughter dance, and I was get, talking to my girls about dating on the way. And I said, listen, you don't chase guys. Guys chase you. Right? And if a guy's genuinely interested, he will show it to you by working hard, by trying to get you. And here's Jacob. He says, okay, well, i got to do something. And so he moves this stone but this is where things get really weird. Verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have to tell a joke. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You, you might want to have a conversation first. I don't know. But he's like, I'm man. I move rock. I water sheep. Now we kiss. Okay? okay? This is... Uh, this is before the Me Too movement, so he didn't know about that you're not allowed to kiss strange girls. And, uh, and so he kisses her, and then, of course, he does what? Uh, well, he starts to cry, okay, because he's Jacob, okay? And Jacob's kind of soft, and so he puts down the Andrea Grande CDs, and uh, he starts crying. And he's noticed he's crying, what? Aloud, weeping aloud. This is not teary eyes. Um, this, he's just, he's just bawling there. There's snot and tears and the whole rest. And, and part of me wants to give him a little bit of credit. It's a very stressful time in Jacob's life, as we know. He's far from home, right? Has that ever experienced you? You have to run from home? His brother's trying to kill him. Is that, you ever experienced that? I've experienced that, actually. It's not fun, okay? Um, okay? He's all alone. God spoke to me. He sees this beautiful girl. She's his kin, and he just, he just lets it out. I mean, just everything comes out. And finally, after the kissing and the crying, he, he introduces himself. Oh, by the way, I'm Jacob, verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that, Rebecca, that he was Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. Okay? And so off she goes um, to tell her father. Her father is whom? Remember? Laban. Laban. Now, we've established that Esau is kind of minor league when it comes to sinning. Jacob is MLB, okay? Laban, 
all-star, all right? Hall of Fame center. And he is indeed going to take Jacob to school as we turn to scene number two, Jacob's labor. Jacob's labor. So he finally meets his uncle here in verse 13. And as uh, as you see, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him into his house. Okay, And so it looks like Laban is thrilled to meet his nephew. But remember that it was Laban who is Rebekah's brother, which is Jacob's mom. I know we got a lot of names going on. It was Laban who was around when Abraham's servant came those years earlier and got Rebekah. And remember what he brought with him. Gold, jewels, nose rings, right? Remember that? And Laban knows Jacob comes from a very wealthy family, and so he is delighted to meet his nephew. And how disappointed must he have been when he saw that Jacob didn't come with ten camels, as Eleazar did, and dozens of servants. And so yet uh, uh, Jacob begins to explain what's going on. At the end of verse 13, we read, Jacob told him all these things. We don't know what those things are. He might have talked about his mother's continuing beauty. He might have talked about his dad's prosperous business. I imagine that there was not a word about the deception of his blind old father and his subsequent flight from his homicidal brother. And I think we already are seeing Jacob has a ways to go. It's quite a contrast to Eleazar, Abraham's servant, who, who did this thing, as we've already referred. Remember, he, he came, he found Rebekah at the well, but he only found her after he prayed. Remember, he prayed, got to the well, prayed, God sent this woman, God sent the woman. Once he found who she was, he bowed down in front of her and began to worship God. And then he met up with Laban, and he had this long speech, remember that, about all God is doing for, for uh, Abraham, and all God is doing for him, and how God has guided him to, to this place. I mean, there was God all, all over it. And now uh, here uh, Jacob is, comes and there's no prayer, there's no worship, there's no words of God's faithfulness, no sense of God's involvement at all. And so he has a long ways to go. But Laban nevertheless lets him stay, as you see in verse 14. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my bones, which means you've convinced me your family. And he stayed with him a month. All right, so he crashes at his uncle's house, but he's been there for, for a month. Laban seems to have enough of this, according to verse 15. And Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing, tell me what your wages will be. Okay? In other words, hospitality has its limits. So Laban is saying here, if you're going to be here, you need to get to work. When he says, name your wages... That's just a polite way to say, okay, buddy, enough's enough. Let's get a job, right? You're going to come to work for me. So what do you want? What, what, what are we going to do? What's the payment? Let's work this out. At this point, the, the, the whole story gets very interested, interesting, doesn't it? In verse 16, we, uh, we are introduced to a new character. Now, Laban had two daughters, not just the one, Rachel, who we've already seen. The name of the older was Leah, and uh, the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. What does it mean that Leah's eyes were weak? Was she, was she need glasses? No. It doesn't say Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel could see a far way. Right? That's not, not the point. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was gorgeous. Right? So weak eyes is just a polite way of saying she was unsightly. She was unattractive. This unattractive girl is growing up in the shadow of her little sister, who the Bible says is both beautiful in face and figure. 
She's stunning. She's gorgeous. And you could imagine that people look right, right through the older sister and pay all attention to, to Rachel their whole life, just like Jacob does here in verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Okay? Now, you see, I'll, I'll tell you what you should pay me. And that's not 20 shekels a year or whatever the going rate was. Pay me your daughter. I, I pay, in fact, the beautiful one. Let's be clear. The one I want. Now, normally, a bride price in this culture would be two years worth of wages. He offers seven. No negotiating, no haggling. He says, I'll give you seven years for her. Now, you might be tempted to think, isn't that sweet? Right? I'm not so sure it's sweet. I think it sounds creepy. Okay? I think this man is obsessed with her, and I'll pr- try to prove it to you in the coming verses. I will tell you that even slaves in this culture were not required to work seven years. Six years, and you go free. And Jacob says, I'll do more for her. He's clearly enraptured by her. Uh, he's enraptured, I think, by her beauty, and I, I think Scripture is teaching us he is seeking to fill the emptiness in his life by getting this beautiful woman. Now, so he offers to pay this bride price. A bride price or a dowry was to show that a man can provide, show a father that you can provide for his daughter. That you're not, you know, it shows that a man's not spending all his money on video games and Red Bull, okay? And, and, and dad says, if I'm going to give you my daughter, you need to show me some responsibility. So dad says, how about $50,000 and we'll see if you're serious. You want my daughter. Okay, a couple years of wages. Okay? And, and once again, what we see, this, this principle is that I would tell you, young ladies, if a guy is worthy, he will treat you well. He will pay for you. He will get out of his pajamas. He will put down the video game remote control, right? And, and he will go make some money and treat you like the princess you are. Dads, we need to communicate this to our daughters. We need to communicate this to our son. That, that men will get their life together in order to pursue a woman. Men will deal with foolish people. They'll go to difficult places to work. Some men sit in a cubicle all day. It's like purgatory. Can you imagine what that's like? Right? Why, what would drive a man to do that? A woman. Okay? A family. Right? So he can provide. We will endure anything. When we come home, we say, I'm glad I'm home. be home. I've been thinking about you all day, baby. I can't stop thinking of you, and I'm glad you're home. Now, if a boyfriend says that to you, that might be a stalker. Okay, That's kind of creepy. A husband says that. That's a godly man. Okay, I've been thinking about you. I want to provide for you. And this is what the Bible is helping us understand. And so Jacob says, I'll do whatever it takes to get your pretty daughter. Well, that's what Laban likes to hear. As you see in verse 19, Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Now, is that a yes? It sounds kind of vague to me. Does that sound vague to you? Give me your daughter. Well, it's better you get her, I suppose. But it's not a yes. It says, come out and say, yeah, okay, deal. We'll do that. Jacob wants to hear yes, so he does hear Yes. He wants Rachel so badly that he'll hear that yes, though I'm not sure it's given. And so off to work he goes there in verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Now I know verse 20 sounds very romantic, and many pastors want to communicate that romance there. But just wait as we turn to scene number three, Jacob's lesson. Jacob's lesson. 
His work is now complete. He's done his seven years. And he comes to his future father-in-law with this demand in verse 21. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is complete. Now, if you're thinking, is he saying what it sounds like he's saying? Yes, he is. He, he is not saying, give me your daughter so we can be married. He is saying, I've worked seven years, give me your daughter so I can sleep with her. In fact, it's far more crass than the way I'm using. He actually is descriptive of the sexual act that he intends to do with her. And he comes to the father-in-law and says, give her to me so I can do this to her. Now, I have five daughters. Any man ever says that to me, I will beat him in Jesus' name, okay? <laughs> I won't even think twice, okay? So if you want a quick, so quick point of application from Scripture, don't ever say that to a future father-in-law, okay? It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's, it, 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 it's it, the, the one uh, academic commentary I consulted said the Hebrew is unusually bald, graphic, and sexual for ordinary ancient discourse. I have learned that centuries of Jewish rabbis have been very difficult time explaining the crassness of this statement. I would explain it this way, that Jacob is so emotionally and sexually longing for Rachel, he will do anything for her, and he is communicating that obsession that he has with her. This is how he is dealing with the disappointment of his life. This is where he is seeking for meaning. If I just find that one true love, she will fulfill me. She will complete me. And Rachel is to him not simply a potential wife, but she is a savior. What is it we say? He worships the ground she walks on. Well, in Jacob's case, it's true. One pastor notes, this is how he deals with the failures of his life. He's away from his mom. No one loves him. Uh, everything's a mess. But Rachel's the most stunning woman he's ever seen. And if she is my wife, finally everything will be okay. Well, everything will not be okay. Because Jacob is about, as I said, to go to school. I wonder, in fact, if, if Laban has always wondered, how is he going to marry off his unsightly older daughter Leah? Well, Jacob is the perfect chump as we see in verse 22. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast, but in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Verse 24, Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. We'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But what we see here is that he marries Rachel, but he ends up sleeping with Leah. Right? He said, how can this happen? How how did he not know? Well, we're not told, so we can only speculate, but my guess is that there's alcohol involved. Okay? There's, there's undoubtedly a veil, there's darkness of night, and a little too much drinking, and certainly he wouldn't be the first or the last to drink too much and wake up in the morning with terrible regrets, as we see he does, because he is spending seven years dreaming about Rachel, seven years imagining the day in which he will wake up in the morning with Rachel in his bed, and what a surprise it is when we read in verse 25, um, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. That, that word behold is, I think, more like a, ah, right? I mean, this must have been a very awkward morning. You, ha you may have a bad honeymoon story. I, nothing compares to this. Okay? You're not your, your gorgeous sister, 
what are you doing here? Where's Rachel? You're not my wife. To which she says, well, I kind of am now. He goes to bed in his mind with one, the one who will make his life okay, and he finds in the morning it's someone different. Many commentators have seen a lesson here that might apply to us. One Old Testament scholar, Derek Kidner, says this is a miniature of our disillusionment from Eden onwards. This is a miniature of our disillusionment from Eden onwards. In other words, Kidner is saying that, that we're always, we're, in this world, we are always going to find disillusionment. That things are not going to be what they seem to us. Our hopes and our dreams, our love, our career, our venture, whatever it is, whatever your Rachel is, in the morning, it's always Leah. Rachel might, might represent for us the thing that will make your life complete. Leah represents the disappointment that we have. And how many times do we think like this? If I get this job, if I get this relationship, if I get this gadget, if I lose this weight, I earn this degree, I make this income, then I'll be somebody. Then that will complete me. And a few weeks later, what are we doing? What's next? What's next? It always ends up in disappointment. One pastor said, you always go to bed with Rachel in the morning. It's always Leah. C.S. Lewis, I think, is perhaps hints at this when he writes of the cosmic disillusionment in which we face in this world. He says, most people, if they really have learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this, that this world offers to give us, but they never quite keep their promise. The wife may be a good wife. The hotels and scenery may be excellent. Chemistry may be a very interesting job. But something has evaded us. In other words, what he is saying is there is a longing in our heart that nothing in this world can fulfill. Even though we're constantly trying for it to fill that, we have a hole in us. And we constantly are putting things there. Maybe this will fit. Maybe this will fit. Maybe this will meet my need. It never does. So what's wrong with us then? Well, I think Lewis is spot on when he has said famously, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. It's made for someone else. Namely, a relationship with God that Christ alone fulfills, that Jesus Christ alone satisfies our deepest longings, our our most intense hungers. He alone provides peace and purpose and identity. What is it that he said to the woman at the well who was on her fifth husband? He said, if you drink of the water I offer you, you'll never thirst again. Until, until we understand that, until we come to that conclusion, we're always chasing and we're always disappointed because, because people are not meant to satisfy our deepest longings, our deepest needs. Relationships are incredible in our life. I don't want to minimize them. But no person can become your savior. No person can be what God is to be to you. And this is a lesson that God is seeking to teach Jacob, a, a lesson that he has yet to learn most clearly as he Perhaps wraps a towel around his waist and runs out of bed to go find his father-in-law. As you see in verse 25. And Jacob said to Laban, what is it you have done to me? 
Did I, not serve with, uh, did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Why have you deceived me? Now, who's Jacob? The deceiver. I mean, this is Jacob saying to another man, why have you deceived me? Why have you tricked me? Why have you manipulated me? At this point, God must be in heaven with a belly laugh. I think that's hysterical. That Jacob is thinking, listen, you are totally tricked me. He's furious that he got tricked. He's a total and utter hypocrite. You deceived me. Why, why are you in Haran and not at home? Oh, yeah, I deceived my dad. In fact, didn't you use a fancy meal and your father's blindness to do so? Just as Laban used a fancy meal and the nighttime's darkness. And didn't you allow your mother to dress you in your brother's clothes just as Laban now dresses Leah in the clothes of her sister? And you wonder, is he connecting the dots yet? If, he, if he's not, Laban's going to help him, as you see in verse 26. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Right? Remember, Jacob? who stole the firstborn's rights, stole Esau the firstborn's blessing. And Laban says, no, no, my boy, we respect the rights of the firstborn around here. And you see, this is perfect justice. He is reaping what he sowed. Jacob is not in Haran simply to find a wife, but it to be confronted with his sins. And he will see his own sins most clearly when they are actually perpetuated against him him. Now I tell you, if you have repented of your sin through faith in Christ, you are forgiven of your sin. But God still loves you, and he therefore wants you to hate your sin as much as he hates your sin. He wants you to know that joy is found in obedience and submission and delight in him. And so God will discipline you in your life to help you realize this. The book of Hebrews is very clear that God disciplines those he loves. So my suggestion to you, my friends, is perhaps next time you're tempted to be irritated at a spouse, next time you're tempted to be judgmental against a colleague or some righteous rage against the failing of another, you might be wise to stop and consider if those failings perpetuated against you are not actually a reflection of what you do to other people. That maybe God has put these people in your life so that you can see more clearly how your sin impacts others. And that you might repent of them. Well, Laban, after uh, stating the the rule around here, he has a proposal. Another suggestion in verse 27. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So, So complete the week, that means finish the honeymoon. Fake it for a week, and then you could have my other daughter, Rachel. Okay, then I'll give you her, and he's, notice he's, he'll he even give her Rachel on credit. Okay? You could have her right away, um, but you still owe me seven more years of labor. It's fascinating to me that Jacob doesn't argue in any way. Verse 28, Jacob did so and completed uh, the week. Right? He, there's no argument. There's no fury. There's no, what are you talking about? Seven more years? You're crazy, old man. No, he, 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 he now does it. Right? He knows what it's like to be deceived. He's been exploited. He's been used. Maybe he has seen himself in Laban, and he hates it, and so he's being humble. And so he 
uh, completes the honeymoon with Leah, and then gets next week gets another wife, Rachel, verse 28. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So two weeks ago, this man was unmarried. Now he has two wives who happen to be sisters. Any potential trouble might occur in that family? Okay. In fact, right, uh, uh, one sister is beautiful and the other not so much. I wonder if that's going to provide trouble in the weeks to come. And all in service, all in offering seven more years of service to labor. God continues to work on Jacob, but at the same time he's working on this girl, Leah. And consider scene number four, our last scene this morning. I find this incredibly interesting, Leah's liberation. And you look in verse 30, it says, And Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. His two wives, he loves one, not the other. And just to be clear, look in verse 31, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So he loves Rachel, hates the other. Now, we, maybe we shouldn't be surprised. He never wanted her. He never sought her. He never said he loved her in the first place. It's clear she loves him. Why else would she go through this plan? The, the verses to come will, will prove it. And, and, and yet she manipulates him, right? She, she slept with him in order that he would be stuck with her. Somehow, Rachel, Rachel puts on the wedding dress, Rachel makes the vows, and then somewhere from the altar to the hotel room, Rachel steps out, gives Leah the gown, and she walks into Jacob's hotel room and, and sleeps with him in order to entrap him for the rest of his life in this relationship. Okay? But now she has to share the man that she loves with her gorgeous sister who she's lived in her shadow her entire life. Now, I, I don't know if you're sure, but I'm, I, I, I'm guessing Laban didn't lay out the plan for her and say, uh, I, I think she probably thought she would get Jacob all to herself. That daddy never said, oh, by the way, your sister's going to join you in his bed in, 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 a, in a week from now. I don't think she had any idea. And so now she's in this horrible relationship, and she begins to think, if I have children, then my husband will come to love me and my life will be fixed. In other words, she is going to respond to the great disappointments in her life, just as Jacob does, as she sets her heart on getting his love, and it is once again the wrong love. Look with me quickly in verse 32, as she begins to have children, and Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me, right? It says, I gave you a son, don't you love me now? We do this all the time, right? If I do this, dad will finally say he's proud of me, and I'll finally feel like I'm valuable. If I can look like this, right, if I, if I drop this weight, then he'll love me, then I'll feel valuable. If I get into that college or get this job or make this much money, then I'll be valuable. People know me. If I get this many followers on whatever social media, then I'm valuable, and this is what we do. This is what Leah's doing. It doesn't work. She tries again. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. My husband hates me, but maybe another son will make him love me. I'm afraid it doesn't. Let's try for a third time. 
Verse 34, again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she called his name Levi. A third son will attach him to me. Every time she has a son, she chooses a name for that son that expresses her longings for her husband. Now I'm visible. Now I'll be heard. Now he'll be attached to me. And every time she's left empty. She seeks to fill this void in her life, just like Jacob. Find this one true love. I'm going to get Jacob through romance, her through being this cherished wife. If I could just get this man to love me, then my life will be okay. But it's not going to work that way. Their husband cannot be her savior. He cannot give her value, her purpose, her meaning, her identity in life. We are constantly walking this path. We, we, we keep having sons too. If I get another raise, if I get another job, if I, if I, if I lose another five pounds, if I, if maybe if I get another spouse and trade this one in, it's always the same. We always end up empty, right? And yet something's going on here in her life because you notice each time she has a baby, she prays and even calling on God's covenantal name, Yahweh, Jehovah. How does she know who he is? We don't know. Jacob, I'm sure, has never told her about him. But, but Abraham comes from this family. Maybe he left a kernel of faith in there. And she's believing weekly, but she's praying to God. And finally, she has a fourth son in which everything changes. Verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. This time, I'm going to praise God. Something's happened. Because there's no mention of the impact of the child. There's no mention of her husband. Simply, I have Judah. I'm going to praise God for this boy. And it seems to me what has happened is she has stopped, at least for a time, looking to her husband to fulfill the deepest needs. And now she is looking to God. She is somewhat of a defiance in that statement, don't you think? I, I'm going to praise the Lord regardless. I'm going to seek after the Lord. And it seems in some way at this point she's getting her life back. I heard of one Christian woman who, who had a rule when a, a man f- found some interest in her. She would say silently in her own heart, you may turn out to be a great guy. You may even be my future husband. But you can never be my life. Only Christ is my life. And it seems to me something similar is happening here. The passionate desires of our heart, once given to Jacob, are now given to the Lord. And who's the son, by the way? Did you catch that? Judah. I wonder if she knows something about him. Has some intuition. We're not told. Certainly the book of Genesis does, because we learn that in, uh, in Genesis 49, that through Judah will come the Messiah. Through Judah will come the Savior. Now that's interesting to me because you have a beautiful woman and an ugly woman. You have one who got all the attention and the one nobody wanted. You had one who is loved and one who is unloved. And it is to the unloved woman that God says to her, you will be the ancestral mother of none other than Jesus Christ himself. That salvation will not come through beautiful Rachel but through unwanted Leah. So the question might be, why did God choose her? Well, look again in verse 31 as we end our time. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. He saw that she was unloved, and so he came to her. 
This is what God does. God, because of grace, is attracted to the ones that no one wants, right? And, 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 and you might think, wait a second, listen, I know she's hated, but she brought it all on herself. Of course she's in a loveless marriage. She deceived her husband. She's only getting what she deserves. And you're right. You're right. Few would have sympathy on her except for God. Because God has mercy on the unloved even when they deserve it. God gives mercy to those who in sin destroy their own lives. Right? The, the world's gods, they all favor the moral, they all favor the virtue. Every religion says, fix your life, get it together, then come to God, right? You, look, obey the rules and then come to him. Only the God of the Bible says God actually favors those who are messed up. The unwanted, the weak, the unloved, the undeserving. Leah did nothing to deserve this blessing any more than you, my Christian brother and sister, did to deserve his forgiveness. And he gives it to you anyway. He get, in fact, we get more than forgiveness, don't we? We get love. We get more than a savior, more than a king. He is, according to the Bible, the true bridegroom. He is the one who delights to save us and would do it at great cost to himself. In fact, Jesus is very much the son of Leah because he became the unloved one. Born in a manger, no place for him. The Bible tells us he had no beauty that anyone should desire him. We're told in scripture that he came to his own and his own received him not. And at the end of his life, even his closest friends abandoned him to be crucified. He is a man nobody wanted. Sounds a lot like Leah's son to me. And he does it all for us. And I'm telling you, when you discover how much he loves you, how much he delights in you, how much he, how, how much he would do for you, you would become free from all the false saviors that capture our hearts. The, 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 the world may say, hey, you're Leah. To Jesus, you're Rachel. Right? Not that he finds you beautiful, but he makes you beautiful. He makes you pure. He makes you valuable. I'm telling you, in all of our searching, we are searching for Jesus. Jacob is searching for Christ. Leah is searching for Christ. Every one of us is searching for Christ. He has come to us in Jesus. And he would give you far more than seven years of labor. He would willingly bear the wrath of a holy God for your sin. Take it on himself that he might have you as his own. That's what this meal's for, isn't it? To remind us how much he loves us. That he would go to the cross because he has chosen you. Our Father in heaven, we are full of delight at the love of Christ. May it grow more and more. Even now as we take the supper meal, maybe we recognize his great love for us. May that capture our heart. May we rejoice that even in the midst of our sin and our folly, that he would love us to the point of breaking his body and shedding his blood, that we might be forgiven, that we might be accepted by you. May we realize that it is in Christ, the bread of life, the water of life, that our desires are fulfilled.
For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.